Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanac Baptist Church for Sunday, October 10th, 2021. This online gathering is going to be called to worship here in a few moments by a reading from Psalm 15, the 15th Psalm. SBC family, a couple of announcements I want to make you aware of. This coming Thursday, the 14th of October, we continue our toolbox for the text series with Sandwich Church of the Nazarene here at the Fellowship Hall. We gather at 6 p.m. I'm going to begin teaching for two weeks now, having had Pastor Matthew teach us so well about the timeline of Scripture in kind of a bigger picture sort of way. I am going to explore with you how we can think our way through the story of Scripture by having familiarity with the covenants. That's one major way we can kind of trace God's plan to share his oneness with human beings by considering the covenants and the promises that God has made. So would you please join us in the fellowship hall at 6 p.m. this coming Thursday. Also, men, mark your calendars, Saturday, November 13th, we're going to kick off our new men's breakfast time. We're going to gather once in November, once in December, with a plan for discussing how we can start 2022 in the month of January with an effective way to connect together as men and then to also, as a church, reach men within our community. So I have plans to make some mountain man breakfast and some pancakes. So men, mark your calendar Saturday, November 13th, starting at 8 o'clock here in the Fellowship Hall. I'm so glad that you've joined me for this online gathering. If you live locally and you don't yet have a church family, we would love to welcome you to our in-person gathering every Sunday at 10 a.m. here at SBC. This online gathering is called to worship by a reading from Psalm 15. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? who may dwell on your holy hill. Those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and speak the truth from their hearts, who do not slander with their tongue and do no evil to their friends, nor take up a reproach against their neighbors, in whose eyes the wicked are despised, but who honor those who fear the Lord, who stand by their oath, even to their hurt, who do not lend money at interest, and who do not take a bribe against the innocent. Those who do these things shall never be moved. This is God's word. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that through the righteousness of your Son, we may count ourselves as those who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill. We ask you to form us into those who do what is right, who speak the truth from our hearts, who do not slander with our tongues, who do no evil to our friends or take up reproach against our neighbors, who are generous, who keep our word. Lord, we pray that you would answer these requests by your grace. We pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our reading from the Gospels today comes from Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read to you verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 5 and then verses 24 to 29 of chapter 7. Matthew 5 verses 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying. And now to the end of chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is God's word. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, open our hearts, open our ears, that we may be a people who give ourselves to putting to practice the words that you give us. Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active, more powerful than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Lord Jesus, you are that word of God. You are the one before whom we must stand account. So we ask you to be present with us, living and active because you are risen from the dead. We now ask you to be present, speaking words of truth, speaking words of power, speaking words of grace, speaking words of healing. Because the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. And all of us said together, amen. I want to begin 
this message talking to you about two different runways. Not literal runways, but runways that we preachers often think about. I had a preaching professor in college and also one in seminary who used to spend both of these preachers spent a lot of time talking about pastors giving thought to how we are going to take off and how we are going to land the sermon. For the past two months, we've been asking the Bible this question, what is the Bible's vision for Jesus Church? And over the past two months, we've been wrestling with different texts from predominantly the letters of Paul to describe what the New Testament church is. And we've looked at a variety of different texts. Almost two months ago, we looked at a text in Galatians chapter 4, where Paul describes how he is in labor pains until Christ is formed in us. My runway during that message, as we took the sermon off the ground, was a conversation together about the different losses that we've endured over the past 18 or so months. And then we landed the plane with me recalling a story that I had heard Marva Dawn tell about how after a worship service that she had led, somebody commented to her how they didn't like the song that they sang at the end of the service. And she, without batting an eye, said to that person, well, thanks be to God that we weren't singing to you. That was the runway and the landing. Then a couple weeks after that, we talked about many ways the church disappoints us. And we looked at Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. And I began that message. The, the runway for that message was telling you a story about a fellow named Ed Gavigan, who had experienced a very difficult day that involved him taking a random walk, getting jumped and getting stabbed dozens of times and nearly losing his life. And then we landed that sermon by talking about how he stood up to make a victim's impact statement about the lessons he had learned and how he wanted the one who had victimized him to learn some of the same lessons. And then a few weeks after that, we talked about Titus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and how he probably experienced this, this torn feeling between two different allegiances as the Apostle Paul asked him to administrate this gift from Gentile Christians to Jewish Christians. And we, we, we took off that sermon by me telling you a story about two gay men, Jared and Adrian, that I love and that I was seeking to develop a relationship with. And then also this other man named George, who seemed to be, in my fallen thinking, at a completely different space philosophically than these two men, Jared and Adrian. And then we landed that with recognizing how, to my own shame, that sometimes those people in whom we least expect to find an example of faith, we can sometimes find that example of faith in a Vietnam veteran showing compassion and acceptance to two gay men who showed the exact same acceptance back to him. Those are two runways, two ways that we decided to take off as we began the sermon and how we decided to land. Today, I want us to examine how Jesus takes off 
in the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of sermons and how he lands the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of sermons. That introduction, that, that taking off is found in, 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 in verses 1 and 2. And then he lands the plane for us in that passage that we just finished reading, verses 24 to 29 of chapter 7. We're kind of transitioning in our series of messages here as a church. Between now and Advent, we're going to take a deep dive into Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. And we're going to ask this question. How does Jesus <coughs> want these words, excuse me, to form us? The problem is we often like to take detours around Jesus here on the mountain. We like to find ways to, after we read the Sermon on the Mount, say, he really doesn't expect us to obey these things, does he? I have heard in my lifetime of listening to sermons and lectures from the Bible at least four different detours that have been taken from getting us around having to obey Jesus here. The first is sometimes people proclaim Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as Moses on steroids. That what Jesus is doing is showing us by a new kind of law how we can never measure up to the perfect life. Therefore, we just need grace. So sometimes the detour we take around from having to take Jesus seriously is we think that Jesus here is law on steroids. Or we reduce this simply to matters of the heart. Jesus doesn't literally mean turn the other cheek. Jesus doesn't literally mean love your enemies. Jesus doesn't really mean give to those who ask. He's just talking about matters of the heart. Or the third detour is maybe this is for elite Christians only. Only pastors, priests, monks, and nuns need to take seriously things as radical as the Sermon on the Mount. Or what I've often heard, and I've even heard this within the past week or so, people taking the words of Jesus and then reshaping them to match the particular way they read Paul. Now, we don't need to be able to understand all of those detours, but I want you to know that those detours are there. And I also want you to know that Jesus has a silencing message for those who wish to take a detour around the Sermon on the Mount. Oftentimes, if you're traveling through the United States and you come upon a mountain range, you're faced with two different options. You can take one interstate that takes you around the mountain, or you can take a road that takes you up and over the mountain. Beloved, I want us to, between now and Advent, meet Jesus on the mountain. And I want him to show us how he wants us to be a community that obeys what Jesus has to say. Sky Jatani, in a wonderful little book called What If Jesus Were Serious? Now just think about that title for a moment. Beloved, we're going to spend, like I said, the next five, six weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're always going to come back to it in this way. Jesus is serious here. Jesus is serious. He says this, according to many Christians, Jesus must have preached this sermon while frequently winking at his disciples to communicate, don't worry, you don't have to take any of this seriously. 
In 2018, a Christian leader was interviewed by a political magazine. This liberal reporter asked this Christian leader, how come you Christians are so supportive of politicians who seem to rebel in disobeying Jesus? And he said, well, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you seem to like rebel in these politicians who love just kicking the rear end of their enemies. How do you square that with the Sermon on the Mount? How do you square that with turn the other cheek? And then this Christian leader said to this member of the media, I think these Christians are finally just glad to have a bully or to have a guy to stand up and punch the face of the bullies in this world. To which the media member responded, what about turn the other cheek? You haven't answered my question. He said, well, we only have two cheeks, don't we? Beloved, sometimes those outside the church faithfully and prophetically in, uh, confront us with our failure to take Jesus seriously. Beloved, listen to how Jesus lands the plane in this sermon. There's no way Jesus intends us to think we shouldn't take these words seriously. He says this in Matthew 7, 26 and 27, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Beloved, the Apostle Paul told the Galatians, my little children for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Beloved, my question, my prayer for Jesus is how can we be formed as followers who put Jesus' words into practice. So as we look at Jesus' introduction and his conclusion, I've got kind of the words of a child in the back of my mind. A parent telling a child, this is what you must do. And then what do they often respond with? Do we have to? Do we have to do these things, Jesus? Well, to answer that question, let's first look at Jesus' take off. Two lanes on the runway. Again, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, what's the first lane on this runway as Jesus takes off to begin preaching the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of sermons? First, Jesus' good news comes before Jesus' commands. Chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then towards the end of chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. It's important for us to have those two images, those two phrases, those two accounts in the back of our head because now what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is to teach us what has now been made possible by the kingdom of God 
coming to earth in Jesus, a community being formed that can obey Jesus is now a possibility. Jesus' good news comes before Jesus commands. Secondly, Jesus commands create a people. Jesus commands create a people. Don't read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as if Jesus is saying this to you isolated as an individual. No, he has gone to the synagogues. He's now out of the synagogues, and he is now preaching. Preaching from what? Preaching from a mountain. In Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, he has just chosen the 12 disciples, and then he proclaims these words from a mountain. Beloved, there's all kinds of imagery here. That's what, what is happening is Jesus, God in Jesus, is redeeming people, and he is now calling him to himself people. Just like Moses went to the top of the mountain, met with God after God redeemed Israel from Egypt, now Jesus, doing the work of redemption, having defeated Satan in the wilderness, having defeated demons in the synagogues, he now ascends a mountain to call his disciples to him that he might give them words. Beloved, we're going to look at the Beatitudes next week. These are kind of like the Ten Commandments for the New Covenant people of God. Jesus commands create a people. Scott McKnight, in a wonderful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that some of you have, we've looked at this before, he says this, Jesus' ethic is not for isolated individuals. The ethic of Jesus was to be lived out in the context of a kingdom community, the church. As Hauerwas said it, the sermon is not a list of requirements, but rather a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus. Beloved, the Sermon on the Mount is given to the church because through his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation and sending of the Spirit, a community has been created whereby the power of God, we have been given the ability to obey and take seriously what is described in the Sermon on the Mount. Beloved, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 describes the characteristic of the community in whom the kingdom of heaven has been born. So that's how Jesus takes off the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of sermons. Now, Jesus landing. Chapter 7, starting in verse 24. There's two lanes that I want us to notice in how Jesus lands. First, verses 28 and 29. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, something that gets repeated many times in Matthew's gospel, because Jesus is this teacher in Matthew's Gospel. If you have a red letter edition of the New Testament, there are huge chunks. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all red letters. Matthew 13, Matthew 10, Matthew 24 and 25, these huge sections. And then after Jesus is done teaching, Matthew gives us this editorial comment. When Jesus had finished saying these things, what is next described? The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. 
Beloved, the church is a place where Jesus is our authoritative word. Beloved, when I think about what's wrong with the church in our context, the question that keeps coming to my mind is, but what about Jesus? Why are we taking Jesus more seriously? Why do we not look like Jesus in the ways that we interact with the culture? Beloved, Jesus is our authoritative word. Second lane. The only sure foundation for our community is coming to hear and learning to obey Jesus. Look at this parable Jesus tells. Look at the way he lands the sermon, the greatest sermon in the history of all sermons. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. A rain fell, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Beloved, we need to hear this parable in the context of the original hearers who in their mind's eye, for Jesus to describe the collapse of a great house, would have to call to mind the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. Storms and winds and water were in their minds the evidence of evil, the evidence of the Roman Empire coming and destroying the temple. And what Jesus is now saying that as he, Jesus, is the true temple, that the new community of God's people must now, even though the temple is gone, must continue to have their house built upon a sure foundation. That sure foundation, in the conclusion to Jesus' sermon, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of sermons, is this. The church is built upon the foundation not of the literal foundations upon which our buildings are built, but we are built on this foundation. Jesus is here, and we come to gather together as his people to hear and to learn to obey him. Beloved, Jesus' good news comes before Jesus' commands. Jesus' commands create a people and in that people, Jesus is our authoritative word. And the only sure foundation for this gathering is coming to hear and learning to obey Jesus. So that's how Jesus takes off in the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of sermons. And how Jesus lands the greatest sermon that's ever been preached in the history of sermons. So how then, finally, do Jesus take off and Jesus landing form us. Formation number one. We must learn to trust Jesus for so much more than forgiveness. Beloved, if you look through the Sermon on the Mount, you can see Jesus again and again and again is asking us to trust him in every arena of life. Not to distrust him to have our sins forgiven, not to distrust in his atoning death, 
but to trust in how he defines blessing, verses 1 to 12. To trust how he defines the Old Testament scriptures, verses 17 to 20. To trust how to deal with anger, to trust him how to deal with lust, to trust him how to deal with divorce, to trust him how to deal with words and retaliation, to trust him how to deal with our enemies, to trust him how to deal with money, to trust him how to deal with prayer, to trust him how to deal with practicing our religion, to trust him how to do with the way we see things, to trust him how to deal with worry and anxiety, to trust him to heal our judgmentalism, to trust him in our regard of holiness, to trust him in how we view the most important things, to trust him in more than just our forgiveness. Beloved, in our tradition, we are so good at talking to people about how Jesus provides the forgiveness of our sins. But then when it comes to other areas of life, we stop praying to Jesus. We stop trusting him. Beloved, there really is no, in the scripture, sinner's prayer. That if you say it and mean it with enough sincerity, your sins get forgiven. Beloved, but if there is a sinner's prayer, it's something we should never stop praying. To say, Jesus, help me to trust you with my anger. Help me to trust you with my violence. Help me to trust you with my money. Help me to trust you in every area of life. Beloved, Disobeying Jesus is not an option for us. And we somehow trust him to get our sins forgiven, but we don't trust him with our anger. That's the first way I think Jesus take off and Jesus landing form us. Second formation. We must make coming to Jesus more urgent. Again, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Beloved, that's who we are when we gather together as God's people. And beloved, those of you that are watching this online, I'm thankful for this technology. But at some point, we need to return to in-person worship. At some point, we need to gather together physically with God's people, to break bread with God's people, to meet Jesus, not only in the word, but to meet Jesus at the table, to be a people who come to him. Beloved, so many of us got out of the habit. So many of us still kind of, oh, I'll come every other week or I'll come once, maybe twice a month. Yeah, I think I'll come to midweek. That sounds exciting. And then busyness gets in the way and we stop coming to Jesus. Beloved, I think verse 1 is a good description of what it means to gather together with God's people. To come together as the word that testifies to Jesus is taught. To come together as Jesus is encountered in the breaking of bread and in the sharing of the cup. To come to Jesus as he's met in the waters of baptism. To come to him, that we might be in the words of Galatians 4.19, have him formed in us. Beloved, sometimes Jesus has a gentle word for us. Other times Jesus has a swift kick in the pants for us. And I think we're at that point. That we need to take gathering together with Jesus with more urgency.
Because if we don't gather together to hear his word, that we may put those words into practice, when the storms come, the house will fall, and great will be its fall. We must learn to trust Jesus for more than just forgiveness. We must make coming to Jesus more urgent. And finally, we must accept Jesus' disinterest in our minimized gospel. Beloved, what I want us to be done with is asking this question. What's the bare minimum I have to do to know that I'm going to heaven when I die? Beloved, that's not the gospel. It just isn't. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. Verse 17 of chapter 4, again. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he goes into synagogues and again, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Beloved, the gospel that Jesus proclaims is a gospel that transforms us because he comes to us with the good news that he is king and the reign of heaven has come near. And if you turn towards it, he will transform you in the present. Beloved, at the very, very best, we are a bunch of forgiven, untransformed people who haven't believed the gospel. The gospel being that God comes to us in Jesus, that Christ might be formed in us. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are powerful, authoritative words that Jesus speaks to you and to me and says, the reign of heaven has come to make it possible for the church in 2021 to obey the ethic that Jesus gives to us. Love it almost 15 years ago, actually over 15 years ago, a dear friend of mine and Eulinda came to us in East Texas and said, Andrew asked me to marry him. Jennifer was a single woman in our church family. She was somebody that Eulinda and I discipled. She was somebody that we both viewed as a younger sister. She was someone that we had taken care of and, and nurtured and helped in so many significant ways. And we knew that our time in East Texas was coming to an end. And the one thing that, that, <clears throat> that concerned us was, what will happen to Gilby as we leave? We called her Gilby. Her name was Jennifer Gilbert. She rarely went by Jennifer. She went by Gilby. When she came to us and said, Andrew and I, and Andrew was a great guy, Andrew and I are going to get married, and we're wondering if you would do our ceremony. Not only would you do our ceremony, but would you do our premarital counseling? So that began this rhythm of every Sunday afternoon for six weeks, we had lunch together after church, and we worked through planning a ceremony and then worked through planning a marriage to do the work of planting seeds that will lead to a good and healthy, Christ-exalting marriage. 
as we sat there at our dining room table there at our house in East Texas. Andrew and Gilby didn't come to us at that first meeting and say to us, what's the least we can do to be legally married? No, they said to me, what can we do to plan a ceremony that exalts Christ and his love for the church? What can we do to plan for a marriage that narrates the story of Christ and his sacrificial love for the church? Beloved, I land the plane with that story because I want us to stop asking the question, what's the bare minimum somebody has to do in order to be saved? That's a question that Jesus is not interested in. But a better question is, how can Christ be formed in us as individuals? How can Christ be formed in us as a people? As we come to Jesus, can I ask you to commit to being together with God's people between now and the end of November? November, the first, the last Sunday in November is the first Sunday of Advent. The Sunday before that is Christ the King Sunday. We've got exciting plans for a glorious service that Christ the King Sunday. Can I ask you in the interim to say, can I ask you who've only been joining us online and you've been thinking I probably should return to in-person, can I ask you during this series to say, I'm going to start coming because I want Christ formed in us. Those of you that kind of come hit and miss off and on every other week, once or twice a month, can I ask you to say, I'm going to conclude this year developing the regular habit of coming to Jesus, to be with him and his people. As we come to Jesus, may Christ be formed in us. Let us pray. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. And from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Lord God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, we worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Receive our prayer, for you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and the glory of the Father. Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hear this reading from the prophets, Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. 
For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now that what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Baor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Lord God, would you contend with your people? Would you declare the ways that we are falling short, that we may be a people who do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with you, that we may be a people who put to practice the words of Jesus. Let us now pray for the church and for the world. Almighty and ever-living God, we are taught by your holy word to offer prayers and supplications and to give thanks for all people. We humbly ask you mercifully to receive our prayers. Inspire, inspire continually the universal church with the spirit of truth, unity, and concord and grant that all who confess your holy name may agree in the truth of your holy word and live in unity and godly love. Prosper, we pray, all those who proclaim the gospel of your kingdom throughout the world and strengthen us to fulfill your great commission, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that you have commanded. We ask you in your goodness, O Lord, comfort and sustain all who in this transitory life are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity. Especially now the families of Jerry and Sam Shaw, especially now the families and loved ones of Pat Crow. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have minimized the gospel. We have made obedience to you optional. We have sought to accept you as Savior, but deny you as Lord and Master and King. Lord Jesus, you tell to us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all who sincerely repent and with true faith turn to him, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and bring us to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us now pray together in the words that our King taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this time of online worship and discipleship. I now ask you to receive this final benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. May grace and peace and everything good be yours in King Jesus.